Hey y'all, welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema, and of course we also include crap television in that. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we're kicking off our Film Suck Summer Film Series, FSFS for short. fuck's sake fuck's sake (laughs) because it's hard to say um and that is going to take us through june and july we're discussing several um summer film subtopics in those episodes that um i'll just name them with what the others are um one is called on the road again in which we talk about the summer road trip movies um and the it's going to be the 30th anniversary or it is the 30th anniversary of the 1991 film um film and louise very influential film so we're going to make that our kind of showcase film to talk about um, um, road movies of summer. The um, next one will be On the Beach, in which we consider the role of summer melodrama, <laughs> murder, suicide, mayhem, etc. Uh, uh, things like that at the beach instead of your, your usual, like, you know, teen romance or whatever you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. We're considering such brooding films as Mildred Pierce, <laughs> humoresque, humoresque, whatever happened to Baby Jane, <laughs> The Long Goodbye, and The Sandpiper. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, let's not forget there is a movie called On the Beach, which is about <laughs> nuclear fallout killing all of humanity. So yeah, we it's it's, it's a fruitful topic. <laughs> and then we're going to, you know, our last episode is going to be called Heat Wave Horror which we just discussed summer horror films, and we're mainly going to focus on um, Friday the 13th. Um, um, we're going to have a special guest for that one, Ian Miller. And his Ian Miller's father, Vincent Miller, wrote the original screenplay, story concept slash screenplay. So we're going to yes. have lots to say about Friday the 13th, um, which, of course, generated a hugely successful franchise. Um, so let's move on to today's episode, which we're calling The Girls of Summer. Um, and it's a it's our way of attacking the the teenage summer film, which there are nine million. So let's get into that. One. <laughs> Dolores, how do we start? Okay, I I mean I don't know. It's like uh, these films are about like that kind of beautiful June moment, the mm-hmm. feeling like you're fresh out of school. Mm-hmm. You're gonna go like I don't know, just like hang out with your friends and live in the moment and not mm-hmm. worry about shit. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so, or oh, let yeah. me just posit the the opposite of that. There are also <laughs> teen movies which are about the desperate desire to make the most of your summer or the end of summer. Yes. So, like, you take American Graffiti, very influential film, 1973, great direction by George Lucas before he rotted his brain doing all those Star Wars movies. <laughs> you watch American Graffiti, he's terrific. Um, but it's all about the last night, sort of like right before Labor Day, the kind of thing, the last night of summer vacation in Modesto, California in, I forget, the early 60s. And it's kids all cruising in their automobiles all night trying to trying to get the last juice out of summer because they're all going off to different areas of their lives, some college, some to jobs, some to go fight Vietnam. <laughs> right. Um, so it's all about that desperation, which is what I remember about summer. Um, <laughs> I hated school so much that I was practically counting how many days I still had left. And I'm right. not even a big summer fan, but it was just not to be in school was so great. So that kind of edge of desperation can also be emphasized. So it's either larks, joy, yay, we're free, or oh my God, it's almost the end of my freedom and I have to go back to prison kind of thing. 
Right. I mean, whatever it is, summer is like a holy enchanted time mm-hmm. <laughs> when yes. you don't have to do your usual shit and your mind kind of runs riot with all the possibilities. Like you're going to write a novel, you're going <laughs> to road gonna trip across the continent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I think we were, <laughs> we were thinking back on our own. So, okay. <laughs> well, the, first of all, we should say what we're, we're like going to look at a, a movie and a HBO show that are related, Skate Kid. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's related series called Betty. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about Booksmart. Mm-hmm. And none of these projects really bear any relationship to our own lives. <laughs> Actuality. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, um, but, but we just, we like them for once. So we're going to we're going to share the good shit with you. But we are mm-hmm. just reflecting on our own teenage summers. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I mean, they're all tales of misery. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I always worked since I was 15. Like, and I lived in the suburbs, so I had mm-hmm. like a very punishing series of very suburban jobs. Like, mm. I think my <laughs> my first job was as a receptionist at a real estate law firm. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so and I loved it. Oh, it was wow. so great. It was like it was the '90s, and as a teenager, you could still buy cigarettes from some gas stations, like they uh-huh. wouldn't card you. And I just remember I loved going out for my smoke my smoke break. I felt like so adult. <laughs> I was like the receptionist having my smoke, but I think like, and then I, God, I worked for like a chiropractor and I did like insurance billing. I did all this shit, but the most memorable by far was working at Blockbuster Video. May she, may she rest. Um, (laughs) And it was, oh my God, it was so awful and disgusting. Like just handling all of those tapes you know, mm-hmm. I, you're just like a walking Petri dish um, and you had to wear the <laughs> stupid fucking uniforms. But the best part oh. was at night, you got to put on like any movie you wanted. So yeah. I would always play musicals as I vacuumed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, those are some great times. And like, I do have really good memories of my friends, like picking me up, me and my slick blockbuster uniform. Uh-huh. And, you know, we'd like <laughs> go to the beach at like midnight and run around naked. And it was like it, the best, you know, so it there could be worse things, but Eileen, you two have had some punishing summer gigs. Oh my God. My, they were all punishing, but I was a much sadder character than you. <laughs> I have come into my own since, but as a young person, uh, I just wasn't doing well. So I, I did have one very young job. I was 15. It was my, I think it was my first job. And I was, I was working for the Civilian Conservation Corps, which I can't <laughs> play anymore. That might be like an old FDR program. It sounds like it. But it, it was totally basically, does. yeah, you work at parks. So there was a park called Art Park in my town. Um, kind of a big deal. And cool. um, I, would, I, I went, went to be part of this crew that would help do maintenance in the park and plant trees and all this shit. I can still look at trees that I planted and all that. And that's cool. But yeah. it was me, 15, and older, the only other people who joined up were older teenage guys between like 16 and, you know. Oh, 18. God. It was awful. <laughs> so that was awful. I was just, because, you know, they kept saying, well, this other girl might come, and she never did. So it was just me and these guys, and it was just monstrous. Did they talk to you, or were, oh, did you, like, scornfully. live in silence? I lived in oh. silence. But, you know, fortunately, I had a lot of training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I could probably have stood it more, and it didn't even occur to me to quit. I still look back on this. Such was my life of suffering that it didn't occur to me I could just unsuffer. I didn't have to. I gotta quit. But no, I wrote out that entire summer. And I would have loved it. It was really heartbreaking because I would have loved it. Just being out in the park and yeah. doing things like planting trees and stuff. Really idyllic park. Sounds good. And I could have enjoyed it so much. But those goddamn guys, those teenage guys who are older than me uh... were so evil. Evil. Oh my... I had a tampon thrown at me, a used tampon. Let what me the fuck? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Where did and they I even said, find that? They found it somewhere on the grounds and they threw it at me. Oh, my God. And I God. said, what am I supposed to do? Get hysterics <laughs> over <laughs> this? <laughs> well, I had a little sarcasm. I had a little something going on. But, you know, it was so mean. It was so mean. We'll talk later about some mean things that happened poison you know i know you don't want to get into gender too much Flores, but you know a little bit <laughs> no of course we can't not it's i mean a little fact yeah that's a very nice segue by the way i think you probably taught those boys the word hysterics <laughs> like you probably like it's probably not in their vocabulary um and they definitely oh please ex- expand oh, i just wanted to add the other job which i meant to you know was the one we agreed i would talk about which was you know my funniest job is that i once <laughs> one summer i worked in a potato factory <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, we had to, you know, sort and bag potatoes. <laughs> Did you get and free potatoes at least? I probably could have. I never knew how to how to parlay things. <laughs> oh man! Into the big payoff, I could have probably taken home bags and bags of potatoes, and I didn't even think of it. I just yeah. staggered out of there. That was that was some serious labor. I staggered out of there exhausted, and it was hot as hell. Oh. And I had to, you know, but luckily I was staying with a Japanese family who owned this Eastern Oregon potato factory and farms. What? And they had a they had a built-in swimming pool. Man, Ooh. boy, the rich really hoard the keys to happiness. That is one. <laughs> you can come <laughs> home from your hard labor and throw yourself into a pool. God damn, that's good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Man, you could have brought... Didn't your daddy potatoes every single night? You could have brought him some potatoes, Eileen. I could have. I just wasn't thinking. I was in such a state of shock to be working in a potato factory <laughs> in Eastern <laughs> Oregon that I couldn't get over it. <laughs> It was That's a learning fair. experience. That's fair. Oh, it's so great. Anyway. It's so mm. great. Well, speak. All right. So, speaking of you know mm. annoying boys chucking tampons at you, um, <laughs> uh, you know, undeniably. So we're we're gonna talk, begin by talking about Skate Kitchen, which is a mm. 2018 film that inspired this HBO series that we're taking with called Betty, which mm-hmm. is uh, was released in 2020. So Skate. Mm-hmm. Skate Kitchen is about, it features non-actors. They're real-life skater girls who live in New York City. Mm-hmm. And um, it's directed by this woman named Christ- Crystal Moselle, who's actually, mm-hmm. I Googled it, from Mill Valley. Don't mm-hmm. hold that against her. Um, <laughs> she's she's most famous by directing a movie or a documentary called Wolfpack that I've never seen, but that sounds fabulous. It does. I looked it up. It looks great. Oh, my God. Okay, so it was released in 2015, and she found the Wolfpack Boys the same way that she found the Skate Kitchen Girls, which is just by, like, walking down the street or riding the train in New York City. And I guess the Wolfpack documentary is about these seven kids who were raised in an apartment in the Lower East Side and were not allowed to leave. Like, they were homeschooled, their dad had the only key, and he locked them and their mother up for 14 years. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only access to the outside world that they had were movies. Movies. Yeah. I really need to meet these guys. <laughs> <laughs> you probably have Our a kids. lot in common. <laughs> yes. But it was it's so enchanting because Crystal was walking down the street and yeah, I don't know where she was in the village, I think she said. And all these like really um, kind of amazing looking kids walked by wearing like suits and Ray-Bans. And a lot of them had were boys with long hair. And she's like, what is this tribe of children? Mm-hmm. And they struck up a conversation and they had a lot in common because the kids were like hardcore movie fans and she's a director. And so this became a very natural friendship. And um, they were just going to like originally collaborate. And then the story of their uh, upbringing slowly unfolded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Crystal was Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, this would be an amazing documentary. So she made this in 2015. Mm -hmm. It won the U.S. Documentary Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. 
And um, so this obviously gave her some traction to make Skate Kitchen. And she came upon the Skate Kitchen girls in the same way. Um, She met uh, probably our favorite character on the series who's mm-hmm. called uh, whose name is Kurt in mm-hmm. the series but it's Nina Moran in real life mm-hmm. and um this other girl called Rochelle Vinberg who that's the name of the uh actor or the mm-hmm. person she's not mm-hmm. really an actor um who plays the character of Camille mm-hmm. uh, in the show and they were just hanging out on the G train they had their skateboards with them and they were talking about skating and um Crystal the director was just like taken with them and the idea of these skateboarding girls and she Mm -hmm. said do you want to make a short film and do you know any other girls who skate and they were like hell yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and then it became a feature film Mm -hmm. so yeah so i don't i don't know where to the skate kitchen's a little different than betty although the characters remain pretty much the same Mm -hmm. um it's more of a coming of age film focused Mm -hmm. on rochelle vinberg's character who lives in long island with her mother she's having some problems with her mom and uh she meets this pack of girls in in new york city in manhattan um who she skates with and they Mm -hmm. like bring her into this world of cool skating girls Mm -hmm. and her mother Uh, objects on very traditional grounds her mother's i think she colombian getting uh yeah i don't know she's latina but i forget i forget Uh, where they're from it says it in the description but it doesn't really say it in the in the film but at any rate she she's concerned and there's a great opening where (laughs) where poor camille in doing a skate jump injures herself and literally cuts herself in a very awful painful place and the boys in the park think she's having her she starts bleeding think she's having her period she's like it's not my period <laughs> in disgust like Ugh. and she goes off and has to get so she has to get stitches in like the worst possible place and later when she tells tells the, the skate the so-called skate kitchen girls who by the way named themselves at least according to one account because mm-hmm. they keep getting razzed by guys who dominate skateboarding who would say girls belong in the kitchen women belong in the kitchen so they called themselves skate kitchen. yeah that's the account i read and yeah. then one of the, one of them um, says, "Oh, you got credit carded." Ooh, I, know. <laughs> I fear that. I fear that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really great opening. But when she goes home and tells her mother, her mother is horrified and says, "You could ruin yourself for having children." So all of her concerns are very, are very kind of traditional world, and the the skating is is a kind of threat to that. Definitely. And Camille is a, you know, she's definitely a tomboy. Um, I am obsessed with this girl's style, Rochelle Vinberg's style. I don't know. She like has this perfect way of wearing like dockers and khakis, always with a belt in a way like it's like an assemblage of elements that would look so awful on me. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I would look so nerdy like an <laughs> old man, but she just pulls it off, dude. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she's so slick. And she's legitimately like a fabulous skateboarder in real life. So it's just just like a joy to watch her skateboard mm-hmm. but there's so much i like about this movie like i and this this holds true for betty too like to me what it does first of all okay a little bit of a backtracking when i get ready for like a podcasting episode in the background sometimes i'll replay whatever it is we watched eileen like if mm-hmm. i make like breakfast or whatever just to remind myself like what the fuck happened in this thing that we're reviewing right mm-hmm. and i can't do that with either skate kitchen or betty because it's not about dialogue mm-hmm. like there's story um but it's it's like a it's a a skeletal narrative you know Mm -hmm. for camille it's uh, she's having a a clash with her mom she moves uh actually she moves in with first her good friend janae and then she and janae have a falling out and she moves in with this group of guys in new york city Mm -hmm. and uh, they do so many things so perfectly like that 
boy house that is mm-hmm. so foul and disgusting mm-hmm. where no one ever sleeps and someone is always on the couch watching like sports or porn or, or playing porn. video games yeah. yeah it's like oh my god i know yeah. that boy house so well uh-huh. i've been right. there and right. like i feel so bad for camille for having to live there so <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a constant theme that continues in fact it increases at the beginning of the first season of betty where because of camille's skills Mm -hmm. um she's the most um what she's the most likely to be drafted by the boys and pulled in by the boys so this happens in in a certain way in the movie skate kitchen and in betty you start with her already being a hot you know a great skater who's already hanging with an otherwise all guy group so that's how and then she's going to wind up getting drawn over in season one to more and more hanging out with the with the with the girls instead of the guys um, so right. this is an ongoing thing. And, you know, also we should mention the fashion. What she's wearing is an ongoing thing. There's a period where she, um, you know, in in Betty, where she's talking to a guy about her style and she names Charlie Chaplin as her style icon. Yes. So your old man thing is actually right on. It totally is. older than that as a style icon. Um, and then in, 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 I think it's in the first episode. It's, it's just started up again, literally, what, last night? Yeah. Um, with season two. Season and two. In, in the first episode, she's she's again because of her, her skills and because you know of her look, um, she's asked to be a kind of what is she supposed to be? Some sort of Instagram. Yeah, smut. like she gets she's kind of get she gets, gets sponsorship from yeah. like a skate clothing store. And so they give her all these clothes and she comes out in these skin tight white pants yeah. that are that are lace up on the side but expose her like she keeps going oh my god my underwear shows you know she just doesn't dress like that and she's like and isn't this a size too small but everyone else is like but but they're the most body revealing thing she ever wears Mm -hmm. and everyone Mm -hmm. of course is immediately like you know i forget it's her who's with her 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 dad dad. and and her friend and a good friend yeah one of the friends and they're both just like you look fabulous and you but you can see her discomfort she walks out with her two legs barely moving forward like they're so tight she could probably could she sit right so so what camille is gonna look like it seems to me is clearly going to be a thing right you know in the upcoming and by the way there's a one of the exciting things about skate kitchen and betty is that everyone has these very unique styles totally you know, individual and some are are very flesh exposing um the one who's called honey bear i think that's i'm not sure if that's her name in skate yeah. kitchen as well it is yeah it is. yeah honey bear, honey bear only often only wears like pasties yeah over her over her breast but she'll might have a little kind of vesti or kind of open shirt thing over it but um on her so it really looks right she's very very thin she really yeah. can pull it off um you know and then janae is very midriff bearing and then you know they just all wear completely you know Kurt wears really boxy baggy like shorts, <laughs> you know, Kurt, baseball cap kind of stuff. And I yeah, love like Eileen, it is my dream to dress Kurt. Like she just <laughs> looks like an ice cream cone all the time. She's only in like eighties turquoise, yes. pink, and like rainbow. Like right, it's right. so consistent and it's so fabulous. And she's got uh-huh. this bedazzled baseball hat. Baseball with, <laughs> Yeah, with a with a rainbow on it and some, right. you know, and some gems. Oh my God. Like and we'll talk about Kurt in a second. Because yeah. Kurt is a legend. Definitely favorite character for me. Is Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll get to Kurt later. But carry on. I interrupted you in the middle. Well what I think is so great about Skate Kitchen is it real to me it captures like uh, it, the, and it does this a lot in Betty. There's like a sort of um doing like physical activity a twilight thing that is so unique to like being young um and i just I, like there's 
in uh, Skate Kitchen, there's this beautiful sequence, to me beautiful, of Rochelle Vinberg as Camille riding home on her skateboard in Long Island at twilight, like going past the bushes and, you know, kind of like sliding into the uh, or sliding onto the beach of this little suburban lake. And Mm -hmm. I just know that feeling so well. Like she's so she doesn't want to be in Long Island, but there is something pretty about it. And she feels like she's already like half gone from there. And it's this like dreamy twilight time where as a kid you do have a lot on your mind but you are also in the present moment in a way Mm -hmm. that you won't be ever again Mm -hmm. and I don't know how but the cinematography captures that for me like throughout Mm -hmm. all of this work and I just freaking love it it like it feels so free and when I watch and the film or the series like my mind isn't anywhere else like Mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it but and it's really consistent and then I was so glad to see they kept it when they went to the HBO show yeah that's that's part of the daring is they're risking especially in a time when we're so plotty because exactly excessive plotting is the key to cliffhangers and getting people hooked getting Mm -hmm. people to binge Mm -hmm. and they're not doing it Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's like really little strands lots of characterization but little strands of plots and then tons of this kind of we're just gonna watch people skate like montages of people skating plus they're you know it's, it's also a world where you're photographing yourselves and others all the time Right. You know, they're, they're constantly looking at and sharing and, you know, photographing and filming each other doing skateboarding all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's tons of, of, well, for me, it was just sheer envy, just watching, just going, Jesus, I just did my girlhood all wrong. I did everything wrong. <laughs> if I could go back. Oh my God. The first thing you need to do as a girl, <laughs> get yourself physically fit and free. Number one. For sure. Number one. And so they've got the, the whole skateboarding thing, which is handled to have so much meaning. Like they literally, if, if anyone gets injured or for some reason, or gets at a board conference or anything, there's panic. Yeah. That's not the biggest because, drama. Oh my God. It's the biggest <laughs> drama. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's not just key to identity after doing it, blah, blah, blah. And it, it's like your freedom, your mm-hmm. ability to travel easily. And there's tons of great traveling shots. Like oh. especially is great at moving through traffic. So you like all these people stuck in the, rigidly in their cars and traffic jams and these girls are just floating through or grabbing totally. hold of delivery trucks and buses at the back and getting free rides. Yeah. And just confident moving around with your body in the world, which for girls traditionally is not a thing. <laughs> you're totally. scared of the world. You're scared to move around freely. You're, and there's all this fear. And, you know, especially when you have a crew of girls. It's so luxurious to watch and just be like, yeah, there's no fear. There's no fear. Oh, it's amazing. And like, yeah, it, all it is is like great music. And the I'm totally with you. I mean, you just mm. want to be them. They're flying. And they're, they're, I don't know if they like cleared Broadway to shoot this, but those mm. girls are flying down Broadway. Broadway. I couldn't believe it either. I was just like, how much money do they have? Can they do I know. this? What the fuck? <laughs> oh, so great. So free. And like, mm. yeah. And there, there are some moments at night where Camille joins the boys. And similarly, mm. I think they're actually on Broadway at the, at the, at those scenes too. But you know, they're like jumping on um, construction beams and stuff outside of banks mm. and whatever and getting hassled by security guards. But like they are they're so like nimble. And it's yeah, I have and their ability to too. skate away is so yeah. great. It's yeah. so great. And then it just reminded me of another point. This is a total segue. Sorry, but just quickly. Yeah, I read the the autobiography of Leslie Caron. And she had, you know, she's a great ballerina, and then she becomes a star in American in Paris. And she describes her and a friend who's also a girl, and they're teenagers, but they're both in the ballet. Yeah. And they get in a bad 
a bad section of town and I forget what they're doing. They're, they're hijinks of some sort and they get start getting hassled by men, like a lot of men. Mm-hmm. But they're so athletic that she's just like, well, we were so athletic. We just outran them. Like, no, no problem. <laughs> I mean, nice. we, we were ballet dancers. We, we just left them. We just smoked them in the dust. And it was just like, oh my God. No, Again, the freedom and the lack of fear is, is the most enticing thing about, I, about this. That's that's like kind of crazy that you say that because I had that same experience on my run this morning. What? Like, yeah, I was I ran, <laughs> I run early in the morning and sometimes on the weekend when you run early in the morning you get the residue of the night before. So where uh, I run there are like some junkies if you go too early. <laughs> and uh-oh. I was like, you know, I you know, ever vigilant and these guys did not look friendly, but I was like, you know what, Dolores? Like <laughs> they've been smoking crack all night. Like you got this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, you cannot mm-hmm. run these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, just a minor point. But, oh, but yeah. I love that. That is nice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it builds confidence. So you're yeah. right. Like, And I'm with you. Like, I was definitely not fit as a teenager. Like, mm. I'm a very sedentary person, except for vacuuming at Blockbuster. Um, so <laughs> this would definitely have been the way to to have yeah. done girlhood. And, when you, and yeah. you know, the culture just wasn't, when I was growing up, nearly like this. I mean, it was. It was just beginning to crack open for girls to start to play sports more. And it, but it was really in the Stone Age compared to where, where it is now. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And that, I mean, well, nice, nice segue into mm. the name Betty actually is like a pejorative term for the 90s for girls who like hung around with skaters or like skated themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're they're reclaiming Betty for the Betty is like the HBO TV version of Skate Kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of great because um, <laughs> it starts out with the sort of like dues that you pay um, mm-hmm. to be a, a part of this like you know very physical culture and like the opening shot of betty from season one is kurt our favorite character Mm -hmm. taking a photo of this huge bruise on her ass (laughs) on her ass in (laughs) public on the street like she just does not she does not care yeah it's great and Uh, kurt kurt is nina moran and kurt (laughs) kurt's always got her arizona iced tea with her (laughs) she's and like the the whole season one kind of um revolves around kurt trying to set up um Mm -hmm. citywide all skates for girls Mm -hmm. it's very simple and again very refreshing refreshingly Mm -hmm. slender plot Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) and she brings one jug one big jug of arizona iced tea to be the refreshments (laughs) which turns out to be right because there was all this mix-up of they didn't really publicize it on the internet yeah kurt keeps saying word of mouth word of mouth but it didn't work so there's a tiny group of girls and then of course you can can probably guess where it's headed till by the end of the series but it's all about how it's harder for girls at skate parks because it's so guy dominated and there's certain certain relationship problem areas like there's a, a certain point where Janae in in the in the series is is just learning to isn't it no it's not Janae it's um what's her name really oh Indigo like Indigo is just yeah. learning to skate and she winds up colliding with that guy she doesn't have good control of her board and it sets off this huge reaction and the guy who's 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 a recurring character and he is volatile and kind of an ass a lot of the time yeah and you know and there's this you know kurt is always ready to fight anybody anytime which is yeah. a wonderfully endearing quality yeah <laughs> and she'll just come slam it in it doesn't matter who <laughs> doesn't matter if the guy's bigger it doesn't matter and but she, there's someone i think it might be kurt says this is only a big deal if it's a girl the guys slam into each other all the time and right. nobody nobody has a fit but it's because you're a girl that that they're gonna you know that there's this you know big outrage over it yeah so it's negotiating this is is a hard thing when you're always in the you always tend to be in the minority so it's all about building this 
you know, power group of girl skaters by the end. For sure. And I, I have to like the for me, speaking of indigo, mm. um, when I first saw the series, my first introduction to this whole world was Betty. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, randomly found it on HBO. And I thought, whatever, I'll, I'll look at this. Mm-hmm. I, I, Looking at these young women, I was like, these are the best actors I have mm-hmm. ever seen. It's insane. It's <laughs> yeah. insane. They're so good that I thought they must be actors. And they're not. They're, they're the not. people. It's they're not actors. Somewhat dramatized versions of who they actually are in life. And they're not actors. I guess they went to some sort of boot camp. There's something oh. that refers to that they actually got training in at least improv and some acting a little bit, but just enough okay. to be in, to be in. I, I can't remember if it was for the movie or for yeah. the show, probably for the, mo- well, the they're movie. They're equally good in both because, yeah. yeah. So they got a little bit of training, but you'd never get, they're so good. They're so they're good. All of them. So fresh and so individual. Like it really like throws into relief how homogenous Hollywood yes. style is. Dear God. Yes. Because all of these women, they're like, they, honestly, most they could all be on TV. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're all good looking and young and mm-hmm. whatever. But they're, yeah, they're just so, their personalities are so distinct. They have mm-hmm. a perfect amount of awkwardness the way you do mm-hmm. when you're a teenager. And you don't exactly say things with conviction. You know, you well, say. Well, except Kurt. You always got to accept Kurt. Kurt. Kurt has no <laughs> filter, which sometimes gets Kurt into trouble and says anything and does anything that occurs. As far oh as I can God. tell, totally free person. Totally, totally. totally. Let's name some good Kurt moments. Like, all right, my favorite, my favorite Mm -hmm. Kurt centric episode is when Mm -hmm. Kurt, Kurt pisses off the girls because Kurt Mm -hmm. starts a fight that eventually uh, turns into like almost like a a multi person riot. The cops are called. Kurt gets away, of course. (laughs) Kurt gets away, and all the other girls who are like of color uh, get arrested. arrested. And Kurt can't see what the problem is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Kurt's on the Kurt's like uh you know on the uh, being on um what do you call it when you shun someone like I forgot uh, words what she's she's on the out she's uh I can't remember either now I know what you mean but yeah she's being shunned by the other girls who yeah, are like don't sh- you get it you started this fight you escalated in other words like Kurt always does Kurt is always ready to throw down totally <laughs> when it, you threw your skateboard through a window I mean you were responsible for the cops coming and then you get out. And guess who gets arrested? All the girls of color get arrested. Right, right. Because yeah. they didn't run, because they know they can't run. Right. <laughs> like, it's right, much right, right. more dangerous to run. They're, yes, they're going to be. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, Kurt <laughs> Kurt is in exile. And mm-hmm. as, a, as a sort of like, you know, peace offering, she brought the girls individual doses of mushrooms, but they said, right. no, Kurt, like, right. we, you know, like you need to go think about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so Kurt goes to a pet store, takes uh-huh. the mushrooms. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> right. That was hilarious. Oh, my God. Buys uh, this rat, rat. for <laughs> Stephanie, <laughs> this, this right. white rat. Uh-huh. And they're hanging out in the park, like, you know, on mushrooms. And mm-hmm. then the, the sort of boy posse, who they know comes over and mm-hmm. Kurt distributes the mushrooms to them. Yes. And I, like, I love these scenes are fucking hilarious. They're where, you know, they're wearing like uh, leaf crowns and Kurt's like, did you know my first kiss was a tree? <laughs> I don't know. And, and she's and all wind up lying there with their heads together and just pondering the sky. Of course, the guys wind up saying something bad about a, about a middle-aged woman who's, who's sunbathing, who doesn't have a perfect body. And right. It's like, Come on, you guys. <laughs> we all love our mamas and our grandmamas. And then pretty soon all the guys are like, you're right. <laughs> it's really beautiful. And this is going to be Kurt's role. It's being set up in, in the second season. Yeah, which Kurt. Is, 
yeah communicates with the boy she's like the the whisperer like to like open up the world of women to boys i will explain yes you'll get so so, so this really becomes they decided to go run with this in the first episode um which is all that's available now um to watch in in season two which just started last night and yeah basically she she's injured she can't skate and i don't think we know why yet why she's injured we don't see it I think it happened. Is it from season one where she got doored? She got like. Oh, it is. You're right. She she was she was doored. You're right. Yeah. Carrying two jugs of Arizona. She's carrying two jugs of Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But anyways, there's a there's a thing that happened where she's she's going to an acupuncturist to treat her leg, (laughs) and it's this complete severe new ager. You know, this kind of like hardcore humorless new ager trying to treat her and kurt is like irrepressible so kurt is just constantly bad blathering and saying shit and and this woman isn't having it you're supposed to be getting all zen and be silent she can't quell her so at a certain but at a certain point she just says lightly you know if you'd focus and concentrate you might want sort of be be going on a quest like a spiritual quest And, (laughs) and for some reason kurt just locks onto this (laughs) quest and the woman's like i said maybe you might be you might be but for (laughs) kurt she doesn't even hear her i'm on a quest and and so she's one that's again moves into the she finds a stuffed animal that gets dropped you know from a balcony or something this big ridiculous it's a pink octopus it's amazing (laughs) and yes and she's like i'm on a quest but (laughs) the, the actor is so good she has this naturally offbeat quality so she's always a little out of rhythm yeah. With other people, but in a way that is just inherently funny. Yeah. <laughs> like almost every line she says is funny. Totally. It's her emphasis is huge compared to other people's, or it's way more low key than other people. She's just a little always off or behind or something because she's so into her individuality, her individual experience. Yes. That, yes. <laughs> that she just she just communicates it all the time so she's just it's just she's just a natural comedian which is so rare and amazing to see that that ability to make almost every line funny whether it was yeah. a straight line originally or not that's gold that's, just that's gold. it that's it nina moran you're a genius oh he's so, <laughs> so good i just love that character so much oh my god yeah and she's a totally out lesbian she's the most confident totally in her sexuality to the yeah. point that she can advise the other girls who are still trying to figure out the ones who are still kind of like no, i'm not sure I'm not. yeah um she can always be you know the lesbian whisperer too <laughs> right right it's so good and yeah the girls are a mix of like you know queer straight I, whatever mm. i don't know um there is a real i think it's really sweet there's a very sweet love affair between honey mm. bear the girl with the pasties yeah and um and this girl oh man a- i forget it, her name ash right? is it ash, ash? that's right that's right yeah that's right. who's a, played by someone named katarina tannenbaum i don't know if she's mm-hmm. an actor or what i mm-hmm. think she's kind of dreamy um yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh she's, she's really an actress cast to be dreamy she's clearly cast to be dreamy yeah yeah she's yeah. an actress and they have a very maybe some people would find it like you know twee or whatever i think they have a very sweet date oh um, no it's very sweet it's because because they and they, this is where it's the characterization is so nice they really go to extremes with honey bear where honey bear is so so kind of shy and and she says at a certain point on the date i'm awkward and i know it as a yeah. kind of defining characteristic and she is she and she she relies on her camera she's constantly filming and photographing and whatever mm-hmm. it clearly is a way to be able to negotiate the world but she's so and she her whole body everything about her and here's someone who's wearing pasties and everything yeah. else so it she's this weird combination of confidence mm-hmm. style wise she's totally confident as and 
intense, intense. What is it? I don't even know if it's shyness or what, but a, a feeling of being awkward in the world and not knowing how to relate. Yeah. You you get the sense that she's ra- like her dad is in the military. Oh, you yeah, get the yeah. sense that she was raised pretty strictly like religious. Um, mm. but they don't really delve into it. But yeah, so yeah, she's a really wonderful like tortured complex character. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and she has this very sweet romance with this girl named Ash. And I I just love the scenes of them. Like it's um it it, it really just captures like the total awkwardness of adolescent love. I like mm-hmm. the things that you say to even like be next to the person, you know, right. like come up here on this mattress and that one girl's terrified. She's like, no, it's better for my back on the back floor. If I'm on the floor. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> you're like, Oh God, it's so painful, but so true. So. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. And the yeah. other one who's always having awkward romances is, is the Camille character who's so confident yeah. on skates and so, and so able to, to be with boys in a, in a pack. But yeah. she always winds up and this is con- handled a little differently in each but in in both the movie and in the so far in the season season the first season she always winds up with a crush on on some guy that doesn't work out totally um, that isn't reciprocated we should mention this was like not a big deal to me and i did not know until i looked this up jaden jaden smith fucking jaden smith is in in skate kitchen i didn't recognize him either (laughs) until i read it and how did they get jaden smith i I think it was like does anyone know anyone that we could get yep and for some financing (laughs) yeah Yeah. to have any name and 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 it was her the camille what's her name again camille's Rochelle Vinberg. Rochelle Vinberg, who's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I know him on Instagram or something. He followed her. He followed yes. Jaden Smith followed Rochelle on, Insta- on Instagram because she's right. like a great skater. Yeah. So she was just able to write and say, would you be in our movie? And he's like, fine. So he plays that kind of lead. Maybe he is the lead. I'm trying to remember. Sort of. Sort of. Not really. Not really. He's one of the more, he's at least one of the more dominant characters. Yeah. Uh, and he's quite good, you know. If you've, if you've seen the, the, the Good Lord Bird He's mm. playing Henry Shackelford. So that is the lead, <laughs> the narrating voice. And I didn't even realize that. Oh, wow. I had no idea. <laughs> I love him. He's great in it. He's absolutely great. Cool. Um, so he's, yeah, of course, Will Smith's son, Jada Pinkett Smith, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but really quietly kind of, kind of good and convincing. I mean, again, I could tell no difference between what the acting he was doing and the acting they were doing. And Me that's too. Always, I know. That's always fabulous. That's a mark of someone who can adjust their performances up and down, you know? Yeah. We talked about Frances McDormand being able to do that in Nomadland. Right. People who are not professional actors and playing a version of themselves. And here we've got the same thing and he just handles it beautifully, beautifully. For sure. It's yeah, it's a true ensemble feel. So mm-hmm. kudos, Jaden. Yeah, yeah, but he's he's not in Betty, just to be clear. Yes. Yes. It's just it's just this character who, you know, he's he, you know, he takes her to the the boy house where she lives for a while. He's you know, he's a little clueless about how that's not the most comfortable situation. And she totally. has a big crush on him and there's reasons why. Mm-hmm. He, he like takes her to a to a rooftop place and says, I've never brought a girl here before. You know, every there's all sorts of, of indications that he's He's singling her out as special. But then right. when they when they get to a situation where she's sleeping in his bed and she like really wants to get closer and he's like, and they sort of start. And then he's like, you know, I can't. You're like, you're one of us. You're like my little sister. I, I can't do this. Yeah. And, you know, it's quite, you know, it's quite a big, <laughs> a big rejection in her view because, you know, it does seem like he's been sort of signaling, but it's so hard to read. That's another experience of, of adolescence. Definitely. Definitely. Yes, you, you just don't know. Are we doing something? And especially uh, now, I think it's 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 become much more much more of that 
I mean, there's there's better things that have happened since I was here. Dating was still a thing when I was young, and it was the worst thing in the world. And <laughs> no one that was the worst. Yeah. But now it's like groups of friends who hang out and then. But uh-huh. but this the, the, um Betty and Skate Kitchen are good in showing how how complicated that is. Like how oh, God. how how long are you friends and how close friends are you before it's a thing or how can you tell and blah blah blah. I know. So yeah, negotiating it- that is a big part of it. Yeah, I did. I mean, I was looking. So I, you know, I'm a millennial. I'm the eldest millennial. I was born in 1982. So I and I'm I was, the youngest boomer, supposedly, but I never identified. Oh my God. Apparently, I am. I'm, I'm. I think I make at least according to some calculations the last, the very last year. I think. Shit, yeah, very I like, awkward. I would put you firmly in Gen X, Eileen. Just I, like I, your I've sensibility. I've always identified Gen X. I've always been like, I don't really feel I belong. Let's oh no, I'm you're Gen cusp. X. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. But anyway, I mean, I don't know about you. So I was looking at this like mm-hmm. anthropologically. I was like, huh, this is what the Gen Z kids do. Like yeah. it's skate kitchen. They all go to this pretty fucking rad looking like skate party place at night above a bodega where they've got mm-hmm. this like skate ramp and you know, they just it, it's all theirs. They're just like smoking pot and drinking and playing their music. And it looks it looks so fucking fun at least for the first part you know everyone's knowing the same songs and they're like jumping up and down and it looks just like utopian it does fabulous yeah it looks great and then Mm. in the night evolves so that like it's kind of like whoever you're next to you'll make out with and there might be Mm. like two or three of those people and i'm like huh i mean i know this is (laughs) right this is age old and this has always gone on you know in some form but i was like is this the default mode of hooking up in Uh gen z where i don't know someone will have to tell us But of course, I would have been in any scenario, I would have been the the Camille figure who, of course, is sitting there, the one who doesn't hook up and is intensely uncomfortable (laughs) and has to escape. (laughs) That would have been me. That's great. That's great. I'm not going to say who I'd be. Um, Don't say who you'd be. I definitely won't. So um, that is great. I Yeah. Mm. And I, I guess like, but I don't think. I don't think this series, at least the director expressed and the girls have expressed, they're they don't want this show to be anti-boy. Although, mm-hmm. as as you point out, and I, I don't get that sense, but of course, like the girls do have to stake their territory because mm-hmm. the boys can be assholes and give them shit just for being there. Like you were given shit just for like existing in mm-hmm. a park uh, during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um but like Eileen, you you did raise your point, which well, is like only because I was a little the old, the main thing that I thought, I don't think I would have thought of it because the way it was handled in Skate Kitchen was the Jaden Smith character. And he, he it seems like an honest misunderstanding, even though she's very sort of crushed. Yeah. For briefly. Um, that, that, that they're not seeing it the same way, even though he does think. He thinks she's a very important friend. She's the only, she's the only girl among them who's one of them. And that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I, no, and I should also add the greatest joy, especially so, so for all girls, if there's any girls listening, Get fit, fit, figure out how to move. Yeah. Get yourself a crew, get yourself a gang, get yourself a group. For sure. I have that. Again, totally fucked up my whole life and didn't do anything right. So I I can tell you. Oh my God. (laughs) Because because these the series and the and the and the uh, movie are great at showcasing how great that is. The greatness of the feeling of and when anyone's ostracized ostracized, that's the word. Ostracized from the group, the pain of it is incredibly intense. Like and and trying to get back into the group and usually there's a pattern of you have to do sincere apology and and kind yeah. of um make figure out how you need to make up for it in a in a way that everyone can recognize as sincere and that that happens multiple you know times. All right, where was I going with this? We just we, I don't we know. Just talking. I was headed somewhere and it was so brilliant. 
So anyway, the anti boy thing that really only cropped up for me when you when it's Janae and her friend and they're doing that video show they they do together. I know. And at first he seems really nice and he's her childhood friend and I'm like, oh, this is nice because now you're going to have a trusted boy who mm-hmm. he's okay. She's always, but of course that turns out to be the plot line where, and this is again season one of the show mm-hmm. where in fact no, he's a kind of Chester the molester as they used to call it. You know, he waits till you know, <laughs> some girl that he's seeing is asleep and then he feels her up and he doesn't see a problem with it because they're actually technically dating and blah blah blah. And yeah. he gets accused of this and it's threatening the show. And at first she's trying to defend him like crazy against the young woman who's accusing him. But then of course she 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 finally has to acknowledge he did it to her at some point. Yeah, and it's you know, my- there's a oh go yeah. ahead. Well, I'm sorry. No, continue with that. Well, it's a conflict. You know, she has to confront him. He's at first trying to apologize, but he's not really. He, but he, but he wants. He wants to put all the the effort kind of on her. She's gotta. She's gotta help him as his friend and sort yeah. of educate him and stuff. And she's like, "Yeah, that's not my job." And blah blah, and walks away. Yeah. So it's like it gets a little uh, important topics of today. In exactly. I was so disappointed. I was very disappointed, and I also just thought it would just be nice just to have a boy. Just like the the guys are willing to be like, oh, Camille's cool, and you know, and then they it starts broadening out. Oh, and Kurt's cool. You start to have this much more mixing happening in a way that's it's cool and it's heartening. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice if there would have been a boy who could just be kind of on on the fringe as one of their friends who's okay with them. And it yeah. didn't and it didn't happen there. And I was like, God damn it, that was a perfect chance, you know. And then they didn't. Yeah, there's like a small group of boys that hang out with Kurt a lot who yeah. like feel trusted, and but they yeah, but they too yeah. have to be educated. They're always having to be educated. So yeah, that's <laughs> part of the plot of the of the season two first episode is, or or no, is it the last? Is it which? No, you're right. It's season two episode one. It is. Yeah. Where oh yes, part of her quest is she's going to educate <laughs> these others, these skate guys, um, in what women what women are like and want and she's able to read each each uh, from across a you know a park go talk to that girl she feels lonely and blah blah, blah. go talk to that girl because she feels she has menstrual cramps I go know. give her a motrin or whatever the hell it gets very very intense yeah so so yeah there is this boys have to be educated boys have to be you know, you have to watch out for them because they're always crossing lines and, you know, and it is true. true. It's a world of, yeah. (laughs) But it's really, it's really repeatedly emphasized to the point that I was a little like, couldn't we just have one guy (laughs) who's, yeah, who gets it, who's known enough, who has perhaps sisters and, you know, that childhood friend thing would have been perfect. He's known her all his life. Yeah. They know each other. Any educating that hasn't been doing, he's gotten it from, from being her friend. That would be a nice, that would be a nice gesture. Well, maybe maybe that will come to fruition. I don't maybe. know. I don't know. Um, it's not in style currently, so maybe not. Maybe I don't not. know. <laughs> yeah, but I get. We should probably wrap it up with Betty and move well, on. I just want to say quickly, and it's a good way to segue. Um, we were talking about how hard it is to find Betty, to find information. It just seems like HBO is doing nothing to really promote this show, yep. even though I think it's gotten quite good reviews. So, like, literally to find out. Where I could access season two, because it came on much later than I expected last night. And it turned mm-hmm. out it was on at 11 p.m. It took me searches to like find out, like, why doesn't it just, isn't it just emblazoned? I and know. when I watch HBO, I have a subscription. When I go back onto the site, I'll get all the shows that I've watched will come up and say, do you want us to watch? These are your shows. Betty never is on there. It's never once been on there. I've had to research every single time find it in the little search function and i'm just like what the fuck that is weird 
Oh, word. I'm with you. I, I went looking for it on social media just to figure out how I could stream season two. And it was like very difficult to find any information, mm. especially like Facebook, Instagram. So yeah, guys, HBO, what, like What's, give us Betty. <laughs> why is it buried? It's weirdly buried. So, yeah. so we, you know, that's one of the things when we were talking about like, why are we picking what we're picking? We're doing a bit of hidden gem searching here. Yep. Like, totally. so Betty and Skate's Kitchen, you're you're gonna someone's gonna have to tell you about it and so we're doing it for you dolores had to tell me i wouldn't know um because you're probably not gonna see the ads (laughs) yeah i watched it out of desperation i was you know i feel like i'd seen everything i i needed to see on hbo actually Mm. i think the fact that i watched high maintenance which is wonderful and maybe we could like plug it some other time uh high maintenance it has the same feel or a very similar feel as betty it's about a weed dealer in contemporary new york city a white guy and it's a anyway he makes a cameo in at the end uh uh, ben sinclair for those of you who are fans of of high maintenance ben sinclair plays the guy his, his name is just the guy on the show he's the weed dealer and mm. you'll see him in the in season in the season finale of season one of betty they uh he's always on his bike delivering weed and the betty girls ride past him and what's my favorite scene of the last mm. like decade <laughs> just like all <laughs> these girls skating over this pedestrian bridge in new york uh-huh. city i don't know i'm a simple person it like <laughs> makes me smile so hard um and and so I think the fact that I watched High Maintenance led me to Betty, but otherwise, like, there's no way it would have been recommended. And like, why the hell not? <laughs> why don't you know my algorithms, HBO? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's an odd, it's an odd lapse that's that makes one yeah feel weird. And Booksmart, yeah. which is you know segueing to another a film that got like rave reviews, mm-hmm. but did did really you know very underwhelming business when it was when it when it came out and you know there's there was speculation like who do we blame for this <laughs> like why did this movie that you know when is really getting great reviews very funny you know really fun i heard about it from word of mouth and went and it was hilarious in the theater like wow and who would have thought olivia wilde and i'm no fan of hers as a, as an actor but damn could pull that off in her directorial debut and oh, just fabulous. like what um yeah but yeah, then it really, you know, there's a question whether they tried to do a wider release than it could really handle and they should have tried to kind of nurture it along in limited release and then build word of mouth, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't know. But at any rate, it did it did surprisingly not great business when it came out. So if you haven't seen Booksmart, I personally would like to go to bat for, for Booksmart as being oh. amazingly fresh, funny, and I really consider it one of the few worthy inheritors of screw the screwball comedy tradition even though oh high variant yes that for me that is very high price um and it yeah okay carry on well no i just you recommended to recommended it to me in the summer Mm -hmm. of 2019 and Mm -hmm. i went on my own in the mall and i laughed my head off out loud Mm -hmm. for like two solid hours like it was Mm -hmm. so freaking funny and just like Mm -hmm. a jubilant experience to see in the theater yeah yeah (laughs) that certainly was 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 my experience i was shocked at how at how at how fresh and how funny and especially the fresh thing because you know it isn't that fresh um you know it got a lot when it came in in a way you can recognize aspects of what it's doing especially within the teen comedy and taking place in summer Mm -hmm. because this is very much the plot of you know we've got we've got to have all the the summer fun we're going to get right now overnight in fact because it's the the conceit of the film is these two girls who are just about to graduate the next day and they've had no fun whatsoever they have come they're 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 what their role models are people like ruth bader ginsburg 
<laughs> Michelle Obama Clinton. and Hillary Clinton and yeah. all these kind of, you know, all right. <laughs> Malala. <Liberal> Democratic. <laughs> yeah. Malala is their, is their catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> or a word, rather, code word for you have to now do anything that I ask if I say Malala. Yeah. And I'm forgetting your last name, actually, Malala. She's the, she's the Pakistani um, activist. Yeah. Um, who, um, who advocates for, you know, for female education. But I forget her last name now. It's, it's Yusuf Zai. I don't think anyone ever That's uses it. it. It's no just one Malala. Ever, everyone yeah. just says Malala. So anyway. Yeah. Um, but they, they've, they've killed themselves. They've had no fun. <laughs> yeah. They've done all that resume building throughout all of their schooling so they could have fabulous, you know, go to Ivy League schools and then have fabulous careers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they find, and Molly, who is played by um, um, Beanie Feldstein, by the way, is the sister of um, Jonah Hill. And that's no way. Re- oh, yes, yes. They yes look exactly way. alike. That makes total yes. sense. <laughs> Once you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, yeah. So at any rate, she finds out. She confronts some. She has a bathroom confrontation just with some other cool kids who have done nothing but party, she thinks. Mm-hmm. And she's assuming they're going to community college at best. And no, they also have gotten into good schools or they've been headhunted by Google or they, they're, they're all going on to something impressive. And she basically is told, you know, you know, of course, we cared about education. We just didn't care. That's not all we cared about. So she finds <laughs> out that, oh, my God, we had no fun Ugh. and maybe for nothing. So it's all going to have to happen that night. They hear about a cool kid's party and they're going to try to have all the fun. Yeah. 18 years worth of fun. <laughs> Right. Before they head out into the world and why. So Super Bad, many people were comparing it to Super Bad because Super Bad is also a kind of desperate one night, not as desperate, for two right. guys who are friends, who are teenagers, who want everything to happen. They get invited to a cool party and they want everything, same kind of thing, happen in one night. Yeah. And it challenges their friendship and they have a confrontation and a big part of the pressure is they know they're parting. They know mm. that the, it's that American graffiti. We know the deadline is now here. We're going to have yeah. to separate and go on with our lives. And so everything has to be now, now, now. Uh, and that's very much what's going on in um, Booksmart, at least broad stroke. Right. Um, yeah. What's charming is that they bring all of their book smartness to this yes. task of trying <laughs> to have the most fun. So like all of their planning and their intelligence, yes. and they even figure out how to like manipulate a teacher who really liked them yeah. into giving them rides to this yes. like crazy party. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's like, they're exactly. They bring this kind of rigidity to the planning. They yeah. really just want to go to this one party where everything will happen and we will prove that we are fun. Yeah. And of course, that kind of attitude is the opposite of fun. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of thing is going to have to be broken up. And, and that's where you get very screwball comedy, which, which, almost, which so often will take is usually one rigid character and then he gets embroiled with one life force character. So bringing up baby, say, and the rigid character is the scientist, David, played by Gary Grant, completely mm-hmm. uptight, blah, blah, blah. Um, it never has any fun, completely, completely focused on, you know, the loss of his brontosaurus bone. So we can constantly run around saying, where's my bone? I've lost my bone. sexual connotations there and Catherine Hepburn plays the madcap heiress figure the complete free loving well I don't know about free loving but she loves him immediately and chases him but she's Mm -hmm. the one who can interact with anyone start a conversation with anyone um enjoy any situation be delighted by life in general and so he's going to get this very rough education and everything's just going to spin wildly out of control he'll Mm -hmm. have his little rigid plan she will throw a monkey wrench into it and it's just one damn thing after another so that's why the plot of like they're trying to get to this one party and they just can't get there for like half the film. 
They keep getting segued to the wrong parties <laughs> right. of other kids who are trying also to maximize. So one's on a yacht by you know a rich kid yacht, but uh, but no one's there. So it's all this over elaborate, you know, luxury, but for no one. There's no <laughs> one attending because you know not cool enough. And then they go to somebody else who's hosting a you know a mystery, <laughs> you know, one of those mystery parties where you have to solve the mystery. Right. They're all acting like they're out of an Agatha Christie novel or something. And that's horrifying. And they're trying to get out of that. So it's all about trying to get rides, trying to get where they're going. And it's all that deadly focus on goals, which are fundamentally, weirdly, it still feels careerist. It's like, yes. nope, we have our objective. And we're going, <laughs> but it's death. That's that. In what I like about the movie. It got, you know, it got criticized by some people for representing the mindset of you know, being a kind of Hillary Clinton type person because that's who the girls revere. Uh -huh. um, but it's not. It's well, if, it might be. For all I know, Olivia Wilde might be all over that. I mean, she seems very much a liberal Democrat type. Uh -huh. But it seems to be self-aware enough to know <laughs> that, that like, Hillary Clinton is partly famous for the way from childhood on a combination of her parents and herself engineered her ideally to be president. But sure. It's going to be nothing but achievement. And her one big lapse is Bill Clinton, but it was a kind of canny lapse in that it was, he was also going places. Right. <laughs> but okay. Um, but the kind of no fun, <laughs> insanely fun killing aspect yeah. of that, you know, if you want to see a more hardcore version, look at election, Tracy Flick. Uh, who does the same thing. It's nothing but resume building and it turns her into a kind of monster. <laughs> um, these are, that's what the, where these girls are headed. If they don't, if something doesn't happen to shake them up and get them out of this and get them so they can relate to people. It's a really nice thing that's handled, especially because Molly is the leader of the two girls, Molly and Amy. We'll get to the, the, the actors and the performances in a bit. Yeah. Um, so Molly's the leader and she's the most insanely driven, like insanely driven to the point that she listens to self-help tapes yeah. <laughs> in the beginning that start off trying to be meditative and in the end they're like, and you will smash it into their fucking faces when you are a big success. <laughs> and, and it's, I think it's Maya Rudolph is doing the voiceover. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, you're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So she's the one who's the driving force in this kind of Tracy flicking of everything. That's also, it turns out is a problem in their friendship, but Amy has is, is, is been the, you know, the more passive one who's gone along. And they're going to have to have that confront confrontation out. But, you know, that whole driven quality has got to be broken up and changed. Or they're looking at something that's bad, that people who can never connect with other people. Right. In fact, Molly admits at the end, I was afraid of all. I never got to know any of you. All of you people I've gone through school with because I was afraid of you. And that's right. clear. It's all of this kind of condescension and, you know, barely held back rage is about being terrified that you wouldn't fit in. They wouldn't accept you. So you have to turn it to superiority. And it's a yeah. deadly thing. And again, that's a very screwball comedy preoccupation. How to get you from whatever death and life thing you've chosen right. and save you. And usually somebody or a series of crazy encounters with somebody's are what are going to save you. And role play is a big part of it. You're going to have to play other people with other characteristics. Almost always built in. Ah, because, interesting. Oh, yeah. Fundamental. Um, whether it's saving a relationship, usually it's a couple, a romantic couple. It's either forming or they've divorced and they're getting back together. But they're going to have to go somewhere where they're forced into enacting a series of roles. So if you're, I don't know, bringing a baby... He winds up having to play a character called Dr. Bone <laughs> and you just keep getting. And then at a certain point, you know, Catherine Hepburn is playing a 
a hardened criminal called Swingin' Door Susie to get herself out of jail. <laughs> and this just becomes part of like ways you can see yourself in other guises, in other ways of behaving, and it begins to break you out of whatever horrifying rigidity. And it also fosters a kind of imaginative engagement with every with every aspect of life. Every human you meet, mm-hmm. every place you go, you should be able to be present and, and delighted in it. So if you ever <laughs> see, I don't know, the thin man, Nick Charles, both Nick and Nora, but especially Nick Charles, is he is the fully realized screwball comedy man. Hmm. He can know anyone, he can talk to anyone, he can moves easily into role play. <laughs> he he and he seems delighted, he seems sort of delighted by everything. That yeah. That's what you're trying for. And so these these two girls with each other they have it. That's what some of it's really funny and that they they have they've been friends so long they have all sorts of ways that they in fact act with each other. For example, Molly uh Amy has come out, I forget the year before or something mm-hmm. as a lesbian, but she has made no move to do anything about it. Uh, but she's very politically vigilant, so she proudly comes out and Molly keeps pretending to her super supportive parents, to Amy's super supportive parents. They're so supportive. They want her to be dating, like, right now. They're <laughs> absurdly overly supportive. That just, so Molly keeps pretending they're a couple. And the parents are convinced they're a couple and are just determined to be 100% supportive. And, and Amy's mortified, and Molly is just, like, constantly hugging her. <laughs> and, you know, practically licking her face to demonstrate that they're a couple, which they are. Yeah. Um, so with each other, they have life but with other people they're they become again rigid you know unyielding and they can't relate so that all of that's got to be broken out and that's what happens over the course of this night let me get the criticism straight are they are the critiques coming from the left saying that book smart is a celebration of a rigid career point of well that's an attitude and it's tied to a kind of critique of, of the class representation in which everyone seems privileged Oh. Certainly middle to middle to upper class. Everyone's headed to fancy ass jobs. Sure. Which does strain credulity somewhat. That everybody, <laughs> everybody is going someplace fabulous mm-hmm. um, when it comes to like, a, you know, a real get of a, of a school or whatever, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so like there's literally discussions of in, in, you know, reviews of there's no one to, who's representing the working class and the struggle. And I'm like, it's not about, it's clearly a wealthy com- community. White community. Yeah. And I don't know. Have you been to America? If you will go to it's a million towns and that's, or neighborhoods, and that's what they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised in one and we were unfortunately the poorest people in it, but it was an <laughs> affluent white town and we were hanging out to the bottom rung of the, of the middle class. And that'll, boy, that'll get you. That'll drive you left pretty fast. <laughs> but at any rate, right. um, it's not at all unusual to have these kind of enclave towns where that's what they're like. No, I can't believe people don't think oh, yes. that exists. Okay. Oh, no, we, I- we, are in, <laughs> we are in defiance of reality, I swear to God, more and more. <laughs> it's just like, let's just pretend oh. that's not real, that that, in fact, is what happened. Right. But at any I rate. Can- yeah. But I- that's one criticism and another, and this is even more of a butte. You know when Miss the, the teacher's name is Miss who, the, their favorite teacher who who winds up giving them rides and lending them clothes because they're the, what they wear to go out is so hilarious. It's they wear they wear <laughs> both wear blue jumpsuits. Both <laughs> they come out essentially as twinsies matching yes. Amy and Molly, and one wears a scarf to differentiate them. So <laughs> her name, the teacher's name is Miss Fine. Mm-hmm. And right away, that starts telling you. Yeah. A very good looking, pretty young teacher. And she helps them not only get to the party, but gives them clothes. 
mm-hmm. wear. She's got them in her trunk that she's been shop. She's been shopping vintage or whatever. So they wind up wearing, you know, again, pretty close to twins sequined outfits. Now. They're the best. I want them. <laughs> Those are nice outfits. Yeah. Actually. They're yeah. perfect for you to learn. They, I, so I anyway, they're great. Yes. So, but you know, she tells them on the way, yeah, I'm so glad you girls are going out because don't make my mistake. Cause I never went out as a teen. And then I went completely crazy in my twenties. Yeah. Started drinking like mad. And she tells a funny story about being banned from every Jamba Juice in the nation. She's never allowed to go back into Jamba Juice. <laughs> but whatever it was she did that was so extreme. Yeah. But she's clearly wistful because now it, there's a, it's, it's kind of astute that that when you're young, you have built in communities through through school, whether it's high school and then again in college. And then when you leave, it gets hard. It, almost anyone can attest. It gets harder yeah. and harder to, to get a social life going. Yeah. So she clearly is like wistful that these girls are going to get to go out. So she winds up after that she's let them in coming in without them knowing. So she's at the party too. Mm-hmm. And one of the young guys, and they have a line to reassure you that he's actually 20. He's yes. not 18. <laughs> <laughs> because they clearly want to make it okay for exactly yeah. the crowd that it isn't okay for. Because he sees her and he's immediately like, oh my God, it's his fantasy. Miss Fine is at this party and maybe he has a shot with her. Yeah. And so it's clear they wind up hooking up at this party. Well, there are people who write paragraphs at how come on tisky tisky, t- and I'm like, come on, she isn't like poaching on a 14 year old boy. He's a 20 year old young man for whom this is a dream come true, and he goes after her. I'm just like, yeah. Oh but, my oh god, no. this is where we're at, people. This is where we're at. Do you, does anyone dare that. have a fantasy anywhere anymore? It's just like wow. no, definitely not definitely not so yeah so those are the kinds of criticisms it's coming wow i did not expect any of those i know totally never would have thought of any of this myself unless i happened to read had to you know read up on this so that's how i found out yeah yeah well rerouting i'm sure someone will object to the the like comic treatment of drug abuse but there is a hilarious performance by billy lord who is carrie fisher's daughter carrie fisher's daughter (laughs) She plays this wow. crazy girl named Gigi, who's always Gigi. like on drugs, giving everyone drugs and popping mm-hmm. up at the parties. And mm-hmm. in a way, she's kind of like the fucked up fairy godmother of the uh-huh. girls, like yes. kind of guiding them on their way. Yes. Um, yeah, she's just like a brilliant performer. If it's you've never seen wonderful. her. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And she does have a career going. I didn't even know, but I looked at she's definitely got credits going. She's, she's In fact, she's in Scream. She is was if it's still running in, in Scream Queen. She's in Star, the Star Wars franchise and yeah. a smaller role. You know, so she's doing stuff. But she's she, so good in this, and it does it bring they they fairy godmother's a good way to say it because there's a, a an element of the slightly supernatural about her in that uh-huh. she can always get to the next party before the girls do. <laughs> she's at every one of these parties, yeah. and she is also a great screwball figure because she is a figure of everyone thinks she's horribly messed up, but she's completely in. She's almost too in mm-hmm. <laughs> to the moment, into the world itself, into experience. So she has no judgment, even though you're thinking rich girl, cool girl. Why is she at the at the murder mystery party? Right. <laughs> but she's at every party. <laughs> yeah. And she and she loves them. And a, she loves them all. Thing. Exactly. Yeah. She was yeah. the only other guest before, you know, the two girls get dropped off at the yacht party with their un, with the uncool supposedly friend Jared, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So keeps trying to buy his way into some sort of popularity, keeps not working. <laughs> but his only friend is Gigi. And later there's a tribute to her with him saying, you know, I know everyone thinks she's crazy and she's the most loyal friend. She's so it's very much a, also a movie that's in a light way trying to get you to see like, you know, everyone, everyone's trying to get through this and you, and you, you, and you have some kind of rote, again, pretty rigid idea of who everyone is. 
And there are going to be all these moments where you're like, oh, you have this whole other side to you. And that's so important in scribble comedy. Again, that's part of the role play. You yeah. have to be able to express the other sides of you to get out of this ossifying trap that you are in that will freeze you for life. You will not have a life. Totally. Um, yeah. So it's it's really great. I don't I doubt it was intentional. I don't think I doubt very much anyone was studying screwball comedy, but that it revives this kind of screwball spirit for how to save yourself from a kind of terrible modern. You know, this is a Stanley Cavell philosopher argument in mm -hmm. a book called Pursuits of Happiness. I think I've plugged it before. But anyway, he makes a very comprehensive argument about how this is a way to grapple with the horrors of modernity, part of which is this terrifying skepticism. And skepticism is far more than just doubt. It's a kind of, a kind of, I hate the world, I can't accept the world. I want to somehow transcend and get out of the world. And, and some of the ways that you do that is by refusing to engage with the world. You get yourself a little front, you get yourself a persona, you get locked into something so you don't have to be really in it. Yeah. And that's terrible. So that we something we all have to constantly be fighting because the world is so overwhelming, for one thing, in modernity, we're just we can hardly keep up with it. So we we find all sorts of defensive postures. How to get out of it. Yeah. It, and so this movie is really about that in its little teen way. That's so that's such a lovely way to think of it. Like to me, it really resonates because I think of um this current moment as being like very rigid. It mm -hmm. like practically Victorian in terms of like rules and expectations. I and... completely agree. Neo-Victorian. Who would have thought we would have landed on that of all of all things? Oh, absolutely. And you know, for every reason you just named, like all of the sex critiques and whatever. I mean, like, you know, mm. I we're not gonna go on and on. Of course, like we're all for like mm. you know racial justice and gender parody but um i think there people are so fucking both scared and uptight of just being mm -hmm. in the world because because of this current moment you know we're, we don't need to like explain it all <laughs> but the idea of flexibility and like relating to everyone in a generous way where you can be mm -hmm. like pliable and not rigid like what an antidote that's such a that's such a nice thing to to think about as we roll into summer exactly <laughs> but if you ever want to be pliable it's in the summer that's and right it's in the summertime exactly. <laughs> so well, i think we've hashed through this just like a whirlwind that's yeah it. yeah that's <laughs> we we offer you our summer gems our girls of summer <laughs> yes our girls of summer gems and yeah. of course only the beginning of um our four-part two-month um uh summer films film suck summer film series fuck's mm -hmm. sake fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> again again so again we, we we're done with girls of summer episode and thank you all our dear listeners um and of course triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in arizona iced tea woo woo Woohoo! <laughs> uh, if you're not a subscriber but you like what you hear please consider signing up a patreon for all the film suck content instead of just the half that's publicly available you can follow uh news of the podcast on facebook instagram and twitter um, and please do join us for this ongoing series that's running right to the end of July. Till next time, thank you all again for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye.